All right. Good morning, everybody. Uh, so great to be with you here this weekend. Welcome to Manuka Bible Church. Welcome to those who are streaming, sitting at home on your comfy couch with your bowl of cereal and your jammies and just enjoying it. So thank you for having us in your home. And uh, we're so excited to be here and be in this series on the burden of 79, talking about the different beliefs that shape us. Um, I'm excited to have uh, uh, preached uh, last weekend and be back this weekend with you talking about salvation and sanctification. Be praying for Pastor Earl. He is flying back today uh, from Haiti. He's been there um, this past week connecting with some of our ministry partners down there, him and Julie. And uh, so um, he's getting back today and I think we'll be back, uh, he'll be back preaching next weekend. So um, I just want to pray and ask God's Holy Spirit to, um, to help just shape our hearts this morning. God, um, bless our time together for those who are here, for those who are um, joining us from their homes. Um, God, just stir our hearts to live passionately for you, to live out that same uh, burden that uh, started our, our church so many years ago. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, we've got, uh, got quite a journey to cover this morning. So, uh, but this week, uh, we're going to be stepping into and, and participating in and celebrating uh, a little fun thing called Halloween, all right? So we're a little excited about that. I know my kids are excited. My kids are literally, was someone just, yeah, someone's really excited about that, yeah. That might have been a sneeze, but um, bless you. <laughs> yeah, Halloween. Um, my kids are excited. They're literally up early this morning carving pumpkins because we didn't get to it yesterday and my son was so sad. And so my wife, bless her heart, was like, sure, we could carve pumpkins first thing in the morning get our, our holy pumpkin carving in. Um, so, but I, it's, it's, my kids are excited. You know, I've got a, a, a unicorn. I've got a, a stormtrooper and a, and a gecko, which is like a character from Disney show. What do you guys have real quick? Different costumes, kids. What's that? A ghost? Okay. okay. Zombie. What's that? A boxer. Nice. I like that one. All right. How many of you have a Christian? Anybody? <laughs> All right, or how many of you, like, you know, you heard a knock on the door and, and a kid came and you're like, oh, what are you? I'm a Christian, you know, and he's got, what would that look like? He has his little Bible and he's got his little boom box with worship songs and he's there praising the Lord and, and you know, he's like, but what would that look like, right? Because here's the thing, what I, what I think is sometimes when we become Christians, we do, we play the game of Halloween Christian. And we can get to a point in our lives where we simply focus on playing the part, on dressing up, right? Maybe, it, what does that look like? It looks like, well, maybe, uh, you know, I show up at a church service, you know, occasionally and, or maybe consistently and, and uh, maybe I, I, I get a Bible or I, um, maybe my language is cleaned up a little bit. I, I say, you know, Christian cuss words like heck and darn and shoot instead of the real ones. You know, maybe it means that I don't drink to excess. But, but I want to talk this morning because, listen, God has called us more to something more than just being a Halloween Christian, okay? Um, Romans 12 talks about how God wants to transform our minds, and he wants to renew our minds so that we can offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. And this week, um, a guy named Eugene Peterson passed away. And there's an article on, on uh, uh, Christianity Today. He's a guy who's involved in um, uh, the, the message uh, project, and he, he helped write that. And, 
and then he also wrote a bunch of other books. But um, here's what he says. He wrote a book called Along Obedience in the Same Direction. It's on Christian discipleship. He says it's not difficult in such a world to get a person interested in the message of the gospel. It's terrifically difficult to sustain that interest. Millions of people in our culture make decisions for Christ, but there's a dreadful attrition rate. Many claim to have been born again, but the evidence for mature Christian discipleship is slim. In our kind of culture, anything, even news about God, can be sold if it's packaged freshly. But when it loses its novelty, it goes to the garbage heap. There's a great market for religious experience in our world, but little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue. Little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what earlier generations of Christians called holiness. And last week we talked about salvation and, and making a, you know, what it means to make a decision to enter into this relationship with God and how it's about divine participation in something and not just being assimilated into uh, a group of people. That it's about that God is going to finish the work that he starts in you at that moment of conversion, right? And, um, but in this aspect of sanctification, um, Stanley Grenz, who's a theologian, I'll be quoting him a, a few times this morning, he says, the saving work of the Holy Spirit in an individual does not end at conversion. This event is only the beginning of this process of transformation into Christ-likeness, which extends throughout our days. And this idea of sanctification, the word sanctification in the scriptures comes from the Greek word hagias, which means holy. Anytime you see the word saint or sanctified or um, being made holy, it's that word hagias. And, and say, it literally means to ma- being made holy, being set apart. And we have, we have different things that we set apart for special uses, right? If you saw me, um, I, I used to run um, triathlons a, a couple years ago, and, and so I have all the gear and stuff, but if you saw me walking through Jewel and we ran into each other and I was have my spandex on, right, you'd be like, what, what are you, is that what you wear to go shopping? You're like, no, like, like you, I, only, I don't wear that out, out in, uh, you know, public to go shopping. I, I put that on, it's set aside for specific use when I'm training or when I'm racing or doing something. You guys have that too in your house. Maybe you have some fine china that you pull out for special dinners or you have some fine wine that's just been sitting there for a couple years and you're like, oh, one of these days there's going to be, you know, a special occasion where we're going to take that out and, you know, open the bottle and enjoy that. Um, I have a, a, a chair in my office. My friend uh, Rob Hubert, he actually made it. It's like an Adirondack chair. And I put it in the corner of my office. It's kind of like my prayer chair. And every time I come to the office in the morning during the week, the first 10 minutes I'll spend just in that chair, just, just praying. I set, aside, set it aside for that kind of use. And so there's an aspect of sanctification where when we decide to commit our lives to Christ, God sanctifies us. He declares us holy. He makes us clean. But there's also the progress part, right? That there's a process that happens. And I said last week, I talked about how, um, you know, how many of you have unfinished projects uh, in your house right now? A bunch of you raise your hands. And I said, yeah, I was going to show pictures, but my, my wife might not like that. And, um, and then some of you went up to my wife and you said, well, how, why, why didn't you let them show the pictures? We, we want to see the picture. We want to be able to relate, Amy. And she told some of you, no, he didn't really have pictures. He was just being funny. But here are the pictures. Um, <laughs> this is my basement, all right? It's like, it looks pretty clean in this picture, okay? But, I, you know, I started to work on it, had this idea for, 
climbing walls and monkey bars and slides, but it's, it's unfinished. Here's a picture. I'm sorry, Amy. I'm so sorry. Um, here's a picture of our laundry room, right? I had this idea that we'll stack the washer dryer, make a little mud room, and put some cabinets up there. That's about how far I got, like last, what, is it like January when I did that? Um, Here's a picture of my lovely wife. You have to use your imagination because this is an unfinished kitchen island that is uh, <laughs> in my kitchen right now and uh, or hopefully will be some time. Um, these are some cabinets in my garage that I just started last week. And actually, I did, we did make progress on this this week. There's, if I took a picture, if you saw it today, there'd be, there's some shelves up there. I mean, my, my wife has this crazy idea. She wants to park in the garage when it snows. Um, so... <laughs> I'm like, okay, I got to build some stuff and put all this stuff on the floor up in the cabinets. But I was making progress, and on about Tuesday night, about 8 p.m., I'm like, you know, sawing away. I got my circular saw. I got the plywood out. I'm cutting some shelves and all this. And um, I got my podcast in. I'm like, just like my, you know, my Lord and Savior, the Jewish carpenter. You know, I'm just cruising along. When all of a sudden, it was like, pop, and all the lights went out. And I realized I cut my cord, right? <laughs> I was like, oh, great. There goes the whole, you know, Jewish carpenter trying to be like Jesus type of thing. Um, as I was thinking about it, when I was thinking about sharing that, I thought, you know, um, when we ignore the process of sanctification, right, when we ignore the gift that God has given us, sanctification, we cut the cord on our progress that the Holy Spirit is achieving in our lives, Right? <laughs> We, we cut the cord on the progress that the Holy Spirit is trying to achieve. We actually, literally, when we ignore that, we, we ignore the Holy Spirit in our life because the Holy Spirit is the power by which he's called us to change, to transform, to become like Christ. Here's what Grant says, right? In the strict theological sense, sanctification is the Holy Spirit accomplishing God's purpose in us as Christian, as Christian life proceeds or viewed from the human perspective, it's our cooperation with the Spirit in living out in daily life the regeneration, the justification, the freedom, the power which is ours through conversion. All those things we talked about last week. So that we grow in Christ-likeness and service to God. So I want to look at our, uh, our, our mission statement and stepping into um, that burden. And if you have the notes and you do that thing, that's great. Um, if you have notes on your phone, some of you take a, like a, just a picture with your phone and then if you're like me, it's like you never look at it again until you go to like delete picture. And you're like, oh yeah, I remember that. Was, that was a good, good quote. So um, you could do that. I like to use Evernote. It's a great app for taking notes because it syncs to the cloud. So, but, but, but do that if you, if you would. Um, we're going to look at two aspects, okay? And the first two focuses have to do um, with what we're going to call positional sanctification, okay? About being made holy. Here's the first one. First focus, we believe that every believer is set apart, sanctified unto God by the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's the focus, right? We're cleaned by Christ. We're cleaned by Christ. Um, Seth, de er, Seth, death, decay, and destruction, and sin have come into our lives. We talked about that last week, knowing the darkness, knowing that there's evil in us, and that in order to be made holy, in order to be made clean, Christ has cleaned us, all right? Christ has cleaned us, and we're going we're gonna to celebrate that today. We're going to come to the Lord's table later on today and participate in that as a way to remember how Jesus has cleaned us, right? And um, 
check out this scripture. Paul says in Ephesians, and he's making a, a, in, uh, he's drawing an example about how husbands should love their wives. But he says, love your wives just as Christ, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. That by the death of Christ, he's washed our imperfections away. All right, now here's the second focus. Every believer is therefore declared to be holy and identified as a saint. And so here's what we can remember. A new identity has been given to us. A new identity has been given. We are no longer, right, slaves to sin. We are a child of God. We're no longer slaves to fear. God has made us his child. We become a part of his family. And so that idea of, of that first part of sanctification has to focus, it has the focus of we have been given something. We've been declared something. Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, and if you know anything about, um, you know, you've done some, uh, some research, some background research on like the church or the city of Corinth. The city of Corinth was a pretty pagan place. A lot of crazy stuff was going on. And Paul addresses the church and he kind of chews them out. Like if you read all 1 Corinthians, there's a lot of things that they, issues that they have wrong. But how does he address them? Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, right? This normal kind of formal address that he gives. But he says this, he says, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people. So even though he knew they were in process, they were messing up, they were screwing up, he was saying, listen, remember who you are. You are sanctified in Christ. You are called to be his holy people. You are called to be set apart. You've been marked by the Holy Spirit. And those two first um, focuses have to do with positional sanctification is what we'll call it today and what Grenz calls it in his, his work he says, positional sanctification, therefore, is an objective reality, a standing in righteousness, which is ours solely by the virtue of the grace of God extended to us in Christ, and which the Holy Spirit applies to our lives. We receive this reality solely by faith. So that position that we come into comes by faith and by faith alone. But there's also the aspect of conditional sanctification, which has to do with the condition of our, our heart and our growth. Here's what he says about that. Rather than a fixed objective position granted by God, conditional sanctification is subjective. It's experiential and consequently variable. It's our movement from imperfection and immaturity to an increasing conformity to the standard, which is Jesus Christ. Rather than being the product of God's gracious gift, which we can only accept by faith, conditional sanctification arises as we cooperate with the Holy Spirit in his goal of transforming our lives. Although in the end it's the Spirit's work, we must diligently, gently apply ourselves to the task of being brought into conformity with Jesus Christ. And so these next two focuses, in yielding to the Spirit in obedience to the Word of God, the believer is able to live a life of increasing holiness. It's able to do that, becoming more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ, though never reaching sinless perfection in this life. So here's the focus. We must pursue progress. As we think about conditional sanctification, it tells us that we've got to pursue 
progress in our life. That growth and maturity in our Christian walk is not an option. That we have been saved for something. Right? Here's what Paul says to those Corinthians. He says, don't you know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you have received from God? You're not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Because you are, your body, your life is on loan from your creator. He says, when you come into relationship with Christ and God's Holy Spirit enters into you and you, you become a child of God, there's this recognition that you are not your own. That your life is geared toward what God has created you for, what God has designed you for. And, and the author of Hebrews says this, he says, make every effort, right, pursuing progress to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And he makes this connection of, of the pursuit of holiness and what others see in that holiness, they, they actually, they see the work of God as believers grow. And he, even further along in, um, actually just before that in Hebrews 12, he's like, consider all those who have gone, consider that great cloud of witnesses who went before you and pursue Christ. In light of all that, they're around, they're surrounding you, they're cheering you on as you grow toward likeness in, in Christ. Fourth focus here, there's a conflict between the new creation in Christ and the flesh that continues throughout this earthly life, but the Holy Spirit does provide victory over sin. And when I mention that word conflict, some of you, man, you, you kind of tense up. Because some of us, we hate conflict. And we think, well, you know, if, if the Christian life, God's called me to the Christian life, he's going to solve my problems, right? I came to him for help. And we think, well, if there's conflict, is there some sort of struggle? Well, maybe, maybe God's not in that. But I, I do believe that we should expect resistance. We should expect conflict. We should expect that to happen and, and, and embrace that um, not as, um, not just because, for conflict itself, but embrace that as a part of our growth, as a part of our spiritual growth. Here's what Paul says in Romans 7. I find this law at work, although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work within me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of a lot of sin at work in me. Paul doesn't just say, hey, there's a little battle and there's these, there's these two chihuahuas inside of me and they're fighting each other and whichever one I feed more is going to, you know, win. No, he says, there's a war. There is war. He uses this graphic term to say there's a spiritual battle that is taking place in me. That there are things, there are forces of evil that are trying to pull me outside of the design that God has created me for. And he says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that's subject to death? And he says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. He provides deliverance from that resistance, from that evil, from all the war that is waging, raging inside of him. James says this, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Why? Because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. That every struggle that we have, 
Every trial that we go through is working something in us, helping to change and transform and become more like Christ. And I, I, I know, I know that we, you know, we live in a culture of comfort, of convenience, right? It's like, oh, how, you know, how can we help people not have to go to the store to buy something? That's so hard. Oh, let's create Amazon, right? We're like, you know, same day shipping. We could just, yeah, I don't even have to get up from my couch. I could, you know, binge watch Netflix and order something. And by the end of the day, it's going to be here. You know, it's like all those little, little comfort problems that we have. We live in a, in a, in a comfortable society. We as parents, I know, we, we want to protect our kids. We want to make sure that, that they don't experience too much pain and too much suffering. And, and we, we want to create these these. The, and we, you know, you talk to teachers and psychologists about the whole helicopter parenting style and stuff, and we want to just make sure they don't have any hardships. However, when we, as individuals and for our kids or for our families, do all we can to just simply avoid conflict, avoid trials, we're shortcutting ourselves. We're shortcutting the, the work that God wants to do in and through us. And, and in this process of sanctification and, and growth, I really, I, I want to talk about um, how for a lot of us, it, it is when that stuff comes up, right? Because that's when it's most noticeable when your, you know, kid does a cartwheel in the kitchen and always knocks a bowl of chili out of your hand and then, you know, you flip out on them and you react or like your coworker does something and you just, you just react or someone cuts you off and you react and you, you say, oh man, I, and it puts you in a bad mood and then you're angry and then you're, you get to the end of the day and you're like, man, like, I can't be Christ-like. It's so hard. Like how do I do it? And that's really the, one of the big questions when you think about sanctification. How are you going to respond when the stuff hits the fan? Because it's easy to praise God and play the Christian part when things are going well. But when trial comes into our life, often how we respond is an indication of how the sanctification process in our life has been going. I want to talk for a few minutes about this guy. His name is... Chesley Solenberger III, he's a pilot, Captain Chesley Solenberger III, also known as Sully. Some of you have seen his movie. But um, back in 2009, January 15, 2009, flight 1549, he took off from an airport in New York and a flock of Canadian geese flew into his engines and basically disabled his plane. He had to shut down um, the engines and he had a couple decisions to make, all right? Can we reach the two airports we see? Can we land on the New Jersey Turnpike? Or can we safely land in the Hudson River? Which is what eventually the choice came out to be. But in those moments, when he had to shut down those engines, he had, he had many decisions to make. Here's what he had to do. He had to shut down the engines, set the right speed so the plane could glide, Get the nose of the plane down to maintain speed. Disconnect autopilot. Override flight management system. Activate ditch system, which sealed all vents and valves. Glide in a fast left-hand turn so the plane could come down facing south with the flow of the Hudson River. Had to do all this while using battery 
operated system and emergency generator, then had to straighten the plane up from tilt of left-hand turn, make sure the plane was level from side to side, get the nose back up but not too far up, land straight and flat and as smoothly as possible on the water, all the while talking to air traffic control, his co-pilot, and making an announcement to the passengers to brace yourself. And he had to do all of that in like three minutes, all right? Three minutes. He didn't have time to take out the manual and look through the book and say, okay, what do I do in this situation? You know, he just had to do it instinctively, automatically. It had to be second nature. And not only that, when they got off um, onto the life raft, Captain Solenberger took off his shirt in the freezing January cold and gave it to a passenger who was freezing. And a man of, of character, right? And, and you may look at that and you may say, oh, wow, how did he do that? That's a miracle. It's, it's amazing that he did that. Like, what a great miracle. And you could call it a miracle. I'm sure some aspects were. But you could also call it the power of having right habits. And that all that training, all those things that he did over the years, the years and years of experience and training that he had was able to bring him to the point where he can make those decisions instinctively, right? And you would say it became a part of his character, sort of a part of his nature, part of who he was to make those decisions. The ancients would call it uh, virtue. And virtue in this sense is what happens when someone has made a thousand small choices requiring effort and concentration to do something which is good and right, but which doesn't necessarily come naturally. And then on the thousand and first time, when it really matters, they find that they do what's required automatically, as we say. On the thousand and first occasion, it does indeed look like it just happens, but reflection tells us that it doesn't just happen as easily as that. And I, I do, I do think that as we orient our life toward the goal that we're created for, it's about being faithful and making all those small choices, a thousand small choices, day after day, week after week. And those small choices matter, right? To look at it and say, you know what, that, even if it's just five minutes that I, I, get to, I can spend with the Lord um, in His Word and in prayer, even a small amount, is going to make a difference. It's pennies in the bank. But in the end, you see that it grows. Be something bigger than each day. That those times that we devote to train to be godly matter. That's what Paul says to do, right? He says, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Look at what it says there, the present life as well as the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God. Our, our trajectory, our orientation has, has moved toward what God is calling us to and what he's doing in the world, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. I'm not going to give you a specific plan. For many of us, when we think about the spiritual disciplines, you know, soaking ourselves in Scripture, spending time in prayer and solitude and growing in that, reading books that are going to encourage us, finding a mentor to, to pour into us. We, many of us, we know what we ought to do. We just have to do it. 
And for some of us in this room, you know, you're going um, to say, okay, yeah, I, I'm there, and I'm tracking, and I'm growing, and that's fantastic. But I will say this, we need you. We need you to pour into others and invite other Christians into your life in order to help them along in their discipleship, in order to pour into them and encourage them and champion them toward the formation of Christ in their life. And if that's a, if that's a struggle, I, want, I just want to give five things that have been kind of helpful for me to think about as um, I grow, as I pursue the habit of sanctification. And you can write these down as, as you know, stepping into the burden. Um, the first is to find your schedule, right? Um, I read a couple years ago, your calendar is your most important spiritual growth tool, right? And I thought, ah, oh, that's kind of weird. I would have thought it was like my Bible, but if I don't make time to read my Bible, to spend time with the Lord, it's not going to happen. And for a lot of us, we kind of live that a reactionary life to say, okay, what are you doing this week? Well, I know I got to go to work, I got to school, I got to do this, I got to do that, I got to take the kids, right? And anything left over, maybe I'll give to God. But to find your schedule means that you're going to decide ahead of time to say, okay, this is the time. These are the time slots that I'm going to set in my calendar to be with the Lord and to put that in there, to have that time with him and to make it a priority. The second one is to find your motivation. A couple, the other week I heard a guy named John Acuff talk about motivation and, and how it's kind of like, you know, we kind of do things only when we feel motivated to do them. So uh, how can we do better and how do you find your why? And, and a lot of people post like, you know, yeah, that's why I train for marathons because my, you know, I want to be healthy for my kids. That's, they're my why and all that. And that's, that's kind of great until, right, until the kids like grow up and, you know, graduate, have their own lives. It's like, well, why do I do it now? And he said, you don't need one thing. You need like 20 things. And I think that when it comes to our spiritual growth, we have to say, well, why am I doing this? And listen, of course, one of the reasons is, you know what, I want to be who God created me to be. But on top of that, you could find 19 more things, right? I want my kids to grow up with a godly example of a man who loves God with all of his heart. And I want, to see, I want them to see that up close and, and personal because they're the ones who are going to know me best. I want my wife to be married to a godly man who loves Jesus and pursues him because I know that's going to do wonders for her and her own growth and the transformation that happens there. I want, I, want it, I want my coworkers and the lost people in my life to see Christ in me and desire and experience that transformation for themselves. You can find plenty of different reasons and, and list them out as a motivation to say, I'm going to take this seriously. Find your discipline. I love, I love the word discipline. I listen to a, a podcast pretty regularly called Jocko Podcast, and he's this ex-Navy SEAL, and he talks a lot about discipline. And here's what I, here's what I think of when I think of discipline. Discipline um, to me means doing the things you've committed to do, whether you feel like it or not. So it doesn't matter when you, you know, show up on Wednesday and it's the middle of the week and you're like, okay, I, I committed on Sunday that I'm going to spend my time with the Lord and say, no, I'm, I made this commitment. And even if I don't feel like it, I'm not in the right frame of mind, I'm angry, I'm upset, I'm, my emotions are running high or they're running low or I have, I have no more, I'm going to do it anyway because I'm disciplined to do it. The fourth one is this, find your community. Find people in your life who you can invite in 
to give you feedback as to how you're doing, how you're growing. And the fifth one is then you will find your freedom. Find your freedom as you train yourself to be godly. Soak yourselves up in the scriptures. Uh, And when I think about that, you know, you look at this piano. And many of you, if you walked up to this piano and I'm like, hey, can you play something? You kind of tool around. Maybe you could play Mary Had a Little Lamb or something. But you couldn't play, you know, an intricate piece. But if I asked like a Carrie or a Danette or a, a Zach, you know, who play regularly to come up and they could just do it. Not even think about it. Second nature. Why? Because they have the freedom to do that because they've trained themselves over years and years, done all the little things, all the little scales and exercises in order for them to have the freedom to do that. And many of us, we don't, we just, we, we, we haven't had that freedom to live a godly life because we haven't taken the time to let the Holy Spirit train us day by day by day. And when you finish all those, right, you reflect recalibrate, repeat. You reflect, you think about how am I doing, right? At the end of the day, you say, how, how, how was I like Jesus today? How did I act? How was I godly today? What did, where did I go right? Where did I go wrong? Um, recalibrate, make what kind of change, tweak do I need to make in order to um, do a better job of growing, you know, tomorrow? And then repeat, repeat the whole process again. And to do that, and to, and to focus on training. So, How's your training? How's your training? How are you training to be godly? Are you pursuing that in your life? And if you uh, are a picture, screen picture taker, um, here's a couple books I know that have helped me over the years. And if you ever want these and, and you just email me, I'll send them to you, this, this list. The first four I've, I've read, the last two I've, I've been uh, recommended and still have yet to read. Um, but especially the Divine Mentor is a great one. It really talks about how do you come to the scriptures and study the scriptures in a way that um, you allow God to sort of like just mentor you through his word. That's, um, those are, are great. Um, but here's the thing I want to leave us with, right? We can talk about this and get all fired up about, uh, you know, growth and, and growing and such. Um, but just remember, it's not, it's not just really about you. It's not just about your personal growth. It's not about you becoming a better person. It's about the mission. Here's what Tom Rice says. It's our world shudders like a plane suddenly hitting a flock of geese. We badly need people who will learn that sense and learn it quickly. Not simply or even primarily for their own benefit, but because our world, God's world, needs people at the helm in whom courage and good judgment and a cool head and proper care for people, and if possible, faith, hope, and love as well, of course, have become second nature. That we need people in whom the character of Christ has become second nature. That when someone offends you, when someone, you know, comes at you, when, when the war that is raging inside you is happening, that because you have committed yourself through the power of the Holy Spirit to train to be godly bit by bit, that you would respond and react in a Christ-like way. Because Jesus said, I'm the way. I'm the road. Every other path will lead to death. And so as we close, I want to ask two questions. One, what is my position? For some of you, you're walking your own road and you've never entered into that relationship with God to say, man, maybe God might have something more for my life. 
And you're at a place where you need to change your position in life to become a child of God. But I would guess for a lot of us in our room, the the question is, what's my condition? Where am I at in my spiritual walk? Am I growing to become more and more like Christ? Or have I, for the past couple days or months or years, been playing Christian Halloween where I just put on the act and I kind of put on my Jesus clothes and have my Jesus words that I say and show up at church and, and kind of claim it, but don't pay attention to the inner character that God is developing in me. And right now, um, I want to give us an opportunity to just reflect on our condition, the condition of our hearts. And every time we um, come to the table and communion, this, this table is for believers. It's for those who have committed their lives to Christ and would call themselves Christians. And it's an opportunity to participate in the life of Christ. And remember that when we eat this bread and, and, and drink this cup, it's remembering that we are not our own. Our lives take on the life of Christ. And we're called to change, transform, and be sanctified. So as we sing this song, I want us to do the work of reflecting and just saying, Jesus, what would you say to me right now in this moment? Holy Spirit, what would you bring to fruition in this moment? What step are you calling me toward? And as you proclaim those words, give me Jesus. Make that be your prayer. That God would start fresh again in you. That process of becoming holy. Of becoming more like Him. Maybe you have a sin, a struggle that you're holding on to that's keeping you from growing. Just surrender it. Tell some people. Say, hey, I'm struggling with this. This is real in my life. And I want to overcome it by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then we'll partake. And then after that, we're going to sing a song at the end. And if you need prayer, we're going to invite you up to come and just, just receive prayer in your process of God sanctifying you. Let's sing.